Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone. We come to that time where we open God's Word. If you'll turn your Bibles to the eighth chapter of the book of John. We have been feeding on the book of John since early summer of last year, and we have come to this chapter. We've come to verses 37 through 59. We look to the Word of God to do its work in our lives as we open it each week, and we pray that He will use His Word to equip us and strengthen us in our faith today. John chapter 8, verses 37 through 59. You are aware of the context of this, as I have told you each week. Jesus is in the temple complex in Jerusalem. He is speaking to a crowd of people that have gathered around. They are somewhat hostile. It's getting more hostile toward Jesus. We're in the last six months of his earthly life, and the hostility is increasing. There's a lot of people in Jerusalem because this is the great feast of the booths, and he has gotten into dialogue in this section we're looking at this morning, especially he's gotten into some dialogue with religious leaders and antagonists. And we're going to see that debate here in just a moment. Let me just remind you that last week I showed you uh, verses 31 through 36. You recall that verses, verse 31 was a response to what we saw in verse 30, 830. Uh, John 8, verse 30, where it talks of Jesus. Many people had heard his words and they believed in his name. And then we come to verse uh, 31. Jesus was saying to those Jews who believed in him, notice, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. How you start, folks, is how you finish. You understand? How you start the Christian life is how you continue in the Christian life. These people started by hearing the words of Jesus. They believed in the words of Jesus, and now they're to continue in the words of Jesus. That is the first time any test of genuine faith is given to us in the book of John. Jesus has encountered people before who say they believe and they turn out to be non-believers. We saw it in John 2, we saw it in John 6. You can say you believe, you can mouth the words of belief, you can verbalize belief, you can even get baptized, as we're going to see a gentleman, a character later in the book of John, and still not continue in his word and not give evidence to be a true believer. This is so very important. It was a problem in the early church. It was a problem in the ministry of Jesus. It's a problem even today. How you start is what you continue in. Understand that. It's not just a one-time event. We are to continue. And those who continue and remain and abide in his word are those who give evidence that their faith is genuine because you can have shallow faith and superficial faith and false faith and dead faith. It's very important, ladies and gentlemen, very, very important. Ken Ramey gave, gives uh, some helpful tests for the assurance of salvation. I think this is helpful as well. Three things that you want to do uh, for self-examination to help you in knowing, am I truly a Christian. He says, the first one is a love for Christ. Do you have a love for Christ? The love of Christ has been shed abroad in our hearts. Do you love him? Even in those lowest moments, do you still manage to eke out, Jesus, I love you. It doesn't feel so great right now, but Jesus, I do love you. That's the first test. Do you love Christ? Affection for Christ. Secondly, a hatred for sin. This is a self-examination question. What do I think about my sin? Do I hate it? Do I hate it? Do I hate 
the way I respond? Do I hate the way I act? Do I hate the way I think? Do I hate the things I do? Not that I'm ever going to be perfect in this life. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a hatred for sin. I'm talking about internal stuff here now. Internal stuff. A hatred for my sin. I see myself blow it. I see myself mess up. What do I do about that? Do I hate it or do I just keep on loving it? People will confess their sin sometimes and you, you know, that's not a big shock to me for somebody to tell me they've sinned. I sin. The question is, what are you doing about your sin? Do you hate it? For someone to say, I'm struggling with this sin, that's a good thing. You're struggling. Struggling is a good thing. But we don't want to ever get to a point where we tolerate it or love it more than we love Christ. And the third thing, which is also internal, do I have a desire to obey Christ? He that loves me, John 14 says, will keep my commandments. Not perfectly, but his desire to keep his commandments. A desire to do what he says. To, a desire to say, I want you to call the shots. I have seen what me calling the shots has done to my life. I want you to call the shots. These are so important. Self-examination. Do I love Christ? Do I hate sin? Do I desire to obey Christ? Ask yourself those. Ponder those things. None of this is perfect. I'm not saying you do it all perfectly. I'm just saying, is that the characterization of your heart right now? As we continue this morning in John chapter 8, Jesus, as you know, up till now has made many claims, many claims about who he is and why he came. Some of them sound very familiar to you and I because we have been fed those for a, many, for a long time. But for this audience, these had to be incredibly difficult to hear, difficult to understand even. He made statements like in John 6, I am the bread that comes out of heaven. I'm the bread of life. He said, verse 29 of John chapter 7, I know God. And I am from God. He said in 737, I am the water of life. I don't just bring water. I am the water. I am the water. Verse, chapter 8, verse 12. He says, I am the light of the world. In John 8:23, we saw, unless you believe in me, you will die in your sins. He's made these claims. Today he's going to make some more claims. He's going to claim that God is his father. He's going to claim that he is without sin. He's going to claim that you keep his word, you will never die. In verse 51, he's going to say, God glorifies him. Verse 54, Abraham saw his day. At the end of the chapter, in in, in verse 58, he is going to say, he's eternal. He's the eternal God. Going to keep making more and more claims. Incredible claims that Jesus makes. But, folks, here's what I want you to get from this morning, okay? As incredible as those claims are, it might be logical for you to say, because they are so incredible, therefore, that's the reason they are rejecting him. Did you understand what I just said? You, you, for you to say that the reason they reject him is because these claims are just so incredible. And that would be logical for you to think that. But folks, that is not the reason they are rejecting Jesus. Jesus is going to show them that the reason for their rejection is because of who their father is. That's the problem. It's a paternal issue that is the problem. He is going to show them that as we go through this passage in John chapter 8. You have the wrong father, the wrong spiritual father. And that's the heart of the problem. Look at verse 42 of John chapter 8. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. 
for I proceeded forth and have come from God. Verse 44, go down to John 8, 44. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer. He was a liar. You want to do what he wants to do. You have a nature problem. That's the problem. Verse 47, he who, he who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, notice, because you are not of God. It is not that the claims of Jesus are so incredible that they reject. It's because of who their father is. It's paternal. A believing heart would accept these things. An unbelieving heart does not. It's because of who their father is, who their spiritual father is. That's the same thing today. It's the same problem today. They have an inability to accept them because they do not have God as their father. They are under the influence and and listening to the devilish spiritual father, the devil. We're going to see that as we go through this. The real problem is not the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the human heart. Ephesians 2, people languish in the death and rebellion of Satan, the prince of the power of the air. You'll see that as we go through this this morning. Let's start the debate. Look at verse 37. Verse 37, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, you, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father, verse 38 says, therefore you also do the things, notice, which you heard from your father. He doesn't identify who the father is there yet, he will, but you do the things that you heard from your father. So he's setting up the issue here. You've got one father, I've got another father. You see that in verse 38? My father, your father. See that? A distinction, he's making a distinction. Your father is not my father, and my father is not your father, and that is the reason we're having all the problems we're having in our conversation and debate right now, he's saying to them. You want to kill me? Why? Because God's not your father. You see that? Yet you seek to kill me. My word has no place in you. Because God's not your father. You, you sit here this morning, you say, well, I read the Bible. I get nothing out of it. The word has no place in me. I try to read it, never understand it. Maybe you need to ask yourself, do you, is the author of this book your father? Let's start with that. They can't understand his words. They have no place in them because Jesus says, You are of your father, not my father. You may be Abraham's descendants. They claim that. They're proud of that. They're from the line of Abraham. True statement. All the way back to Genesis 12. Mighty nation. Great nation. Um, Many, many people would come part of this nation that started through the the loins of Abraham. Very proud of that. They put tremendous security in that. No Jew thought he was ever going to face judgment simply because of his connection to Abraham. Jesus says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but your father, your father is not my father. You want to kill me because your father is not my father. Notice in verse and let me just say this. The reason he is saying. The reason he is saying that my words are not intersecting with your heart is because we have different fathers. That's what that verse, those two verses are saying. Verse 39, they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. Well, so they propose that Abraham is our father. Jesus is not impressed with that. Physically, yes. Spiritually, no. If you are Abraham's children, then like father, like son, do the things that Abraham does. Abraham would never, never kill me. 
If you're Abraham's children, if your father is Abraham, then he is saying, do the deeds of Abraham. Abraham was a man of faith, a man of character, a man of obedience. You may be physically connected, but you're not spiritually connected. That's where this argument is going. But verse 40, as it is, you are seeking to kill me, something Abraham, notice the end of the verse, would never do. A man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. I don't know if you remember the story, for example, in Genesis chapter 18, when the three messengers from God came to Abraham and Sarah and told them that they were going to have a child. They came, three messengers from God came with a message from God, and they received them. They didn't kill them. They prepared a meal for them. They honored these messengers from God. That's how Abraham responded to messengers from God. He didn't try to kill them. You're not walking in the footsteps of Abraham. You're not like father, like son. You're rejecting God's messenger. You're trying to kill the messenger. They've been wanting to kill Jesus since John chapter 5 when he healed the paralytic. They, they've been wanting to kill him for over a year now. They tried to have him arrested and that failed. They want to kill him. Abraham would never do this. Verse 41, you are doing the deeds of your father. Still doesn't tell him who he's talking about. You're not imitating Abraham. If you claim Abraham is your father, you're not doing what he would do. He gets interrupted. He doesn't finish here. And then they interrupt him and they say, and they start to attack, attack him. We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Two possible ways to interpret we are not born of fornication could be a response to Jesus' claim that they're not they're not living like they're sons of Abraham. Could be them saying, no, we're not illegitimate children. We're not the result of immorality. They could be saying that. Or they could be saying, just to discredit Jesus, just referring to the, the rumor mill that said that Jesus had been born uh, out of marriage, of fornication. That was what the rumor was about Jesus. And in their efforts to try and find out who Jesus is, they could have run up to Nazareth or, or to the north in Galilee and gotten part of the rumors that had circulated regarding the birth of Christ. Sure, virgin birth, yeah, right. It could be that kind of statement. Not sure. So they attack, they make that attack, and they also say we have... One father, God. Now they've moved from Abraham. Now they're talking about God here. They say he's our, he's our father. God's our father. And their sense in much that's true. God was the father to the nation Israel. However, it's interesting in, Gen- in, in Romans chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, Paul makes the statement that all Israel is not true Israel that all Israel are not truly descendants of the spiritual, are not spiritual descendants of, of, of Abraham, the true Israel. And so that is, that is true. There are Jews who are in the kingdom of God and Jews who are not. Uh, Jeremiah says this, Jeremiah chapter 9, I will judge the Those who are circumcised in the flesh, I'm adding this, circumcised in the flesh, and and those who are uncircumcised as well. In other words, there are many of you who are circumcised in the flesh, but you're uncircumcised in your hearts. And that was true of the Jews. He said they were just just satisfied with fleshly circumcision to be descendants of Abraham. Abraham. And Jesus says, I will judge you because though you're circumcised in the flesh, you're uncircumcised in your heart. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. 
So here's the logic. God cannot be your spiritual father because I am from God and you hate me. You don't love me. Therefore, God is not your father. That's the logic of that verse. Then he points the problem of their unbelief. Notice in verse 43. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. This gets to the heart of the problem, folks. This is the heart of the problem. It's a problem of inability. They are not able. They have a disconnect from parentage. They have a disconnect from God, the Father. It's a spiritual issue. Uh, He's saying you, you can hear words, but you cannot hear. You're unable to embrace and believe. That's what he is saying to them. He gets to the heart issue. It's not my claims that are the issue. It's that you cannot and are unable to hear them and believe them and embrace them. That's the problem. A problem of inability. Romans 8, 7 says this, The mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God and it does not subject itself to the law of God. It's not even able to do so. The mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. It's not, it's not even able to do so or to, to subject itself to the law of God. It's not able to do that. The, the law, it's inability. This is a law of total inability. They cannot do it. Listen to this in 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. He's unspiritual. He has no spiritual uh, ability to understand and comprehend spiritual truth. This is a doctrine that runs through the book of John. We've seen it before, where they're totally unable to believe. Jesus continually preaches it, to an audience, and without divine intervention, they're not able to believe it. And that's what he's referring to here. You hear the words, but you cannot hear it. That's why I say to you at the beginning today, it's not his claims are so incredible that there's a reason for their rejection. It's because God is not their father, the one who divinely intervenes and enables them to believe it. That is what he is pointing out to them. You are disconnected from God, therefore you're not able to hear what I am saying. I'm from God. You hate me. I'm from God. My words are from God. You reject them. It's all connected to who your father is. You're going to see that in a moment. He's going to tell them your father is the devil. That's what he's going to say to them. Verse 44 You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. Wow, this is pretty strong. I've read a lot of books on preaching, and I guarantee you, none of them ever said, if you want to win an audience, say that to the audience. You're of the devil. Man, flat out tells them, your obstinance, your response, the way you're treating me, the things you're saying to me and about me give evidence of who your father really is. You're saying things the devil would say. You represent the devil more than you even come close to representing Abraham or God. Follow me? This is their root problem. Who their father is, who their father isn't. This is their root problem. This is your problem and my problem. It boils down to one of two issues. Who's my father? Who am I listening to? Who am I imitating? That's the question. That's their question. Who's your father? Jesus is saying. This is not a secret sensitive message. No doubt about it. You see that. You are reminded, though, in evangelism sometimes, as I was pointing out to folks the other day, you're reminded in evangelism, you know, you have levels of evangelism that you might talk to people on, and, you know, it's kind of like your initial phase of evangelism where you're sharing the gospel and the general truths of the gospel, and as time goes on and people get more and more obstinate, then the, the words tend to increase the realities and the terms you use might get a little stronger. I think Jesus is doing that with these folks. We're coming toward the end, and as an act of grace, 
He's giving it flat out. You're of the devil. You represent, you're imitating the devil. He is your father. You do his deeds. Don't give me this Abraham and God stuff. You're not even close. Your actions represent the devil. Now, I'm not saying you would say that to somebody laying on a hospital bed, but the point is the reality of hell awaits them if they don't repent. And that's grace on his part to wake them up with a statement like that. You're of your father, the devil, and how you act and how you think. Everything you do, you're not a son of God. You're a son of Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning, verse 44 says, and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. John lets us know what he's referring to. He says, in the beginning, see that? We'll go back to Genesis chapter 3. Remember that that Satan comes into the garden and uh, tempts, entices Eve and Adam both to sin. They've been told, eat of the fruit, and you will die? The murderer, he's a manslayer. He was a manslayer. He comes in wanting to kill. And he entices them to sin, and the wages of sin is death. By one man, sin entered the world and death. And that's exactly what happened. People die. People die. If you read in Genesis chapter 5, you see the truthfulness of this. Genesis chapter 5, you have the genealogy. So-and-so begat so-and-so, and so-and-so begat so-and-so, and all the so-and-so begetting. You read that? Well, you know what it says in between all of those? So-and-so begat so-and-so, and he died. So-and-so begat so-and-so, and he died. So-and-so begat so-and-so, and he died. You know, the point is, not the begats, the point is they died. They died because Satan introduced that into the human race by tempting and enticing Adam and Eve. That was his goal, to kill them. Those who were told they would live, well, now he introduced death into the human race. You know, it's not that I can blame the devil for everything that happens in my life. I simply can blame myself when I imitate him. And when I allow him to present enticements that lead me into sin. Secondly, he says he is a liar. Well, he did this in the beginning as well. He goes into the garden and he says to Adam and Eve, he says to them, hath God said, begins to undermine God's word in their minds. Has God really said as if to say, God, oh, he is such, he, he tries to ruin you, keep things from you. You will not die. Eat that fruit. He's a liar. He is the father of lies. And when you, be, if you're characterized by lying, you represent your father, the devil. If you, if you lie, you're imitating him. If you murder, you're imitating him. And we're told by Jesus that if you're angry in your heart toward your brother or sister, you're guilty of murder. Those are all rooted not in God, not in Abraham. He's not really the issue here. What matters is it's not rooted in anyone but the devil. That's what he's doing here, folks. My debate with you is not intersect, my words are not intersecting in your heart because you have a different father. And that's what you encounter every time you talk to somebody. Your, your words are running parallel. Their words are just running parallel. They don't intersect unless there's divine intervention to get into that person's heart. Let's build that. Let's look at that some more. Um, I was just going to say this. Nate Pickowitz had an interesting statistic. I, he said uh, somebody has come up with this number. A hundred billion people have lived on this planet throughout its history. He said Hitler killed 11 million. 
Stalin killed 40 million, Mao Zedong killed 70 million, and Satan killed 100 billion. Everybody dies. Everybody dies. So, verse 45. But, I, but because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. You're full of lies. You're attracted to lies. You don't want to believe the truth. 1 John 3.10, listen to this. Write these references down. I don't have time to turn to all of them this morning. I did 2 Corinthians 2.14. I did Romans 8.7. And now I'm looking at 1 John 3.10. 1 John 3.10. By this, get this now. Notice the categories. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Identify your category. Where are you? Where are you? Verse 46, which of you, one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? And he paints the line thicker here. I walk in the ways of my father. Uh, can you convict me of any sin? If I said that statement, the, law, the line would line up of all the people that can say I, areas I've sinned in, right? Jesus did never sin. Impeccability of Christ. He was sinless without sin. He's a sinless Savior. We have a high priest who was tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. You can't convict me of sin. I speak the truth and you do not believe me. Verse 47. He who is of God, hear, notice, he who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. You see the connection? That's what I've been saying, right? It's who you're of. It's who you're of. If you're of God, you hear. If anyone wants to do his will, they know the words, they know they belong, they know they come from God. We've seen that earlier in the book of John. Unbelief has nothing to do with the credibility of Jesus. Understand that. They do not believe because they're of their father, the devil. So they're running out of rational arguments and they, so they come to verse 48. When you're starting to lose the argument, you just resort to insults. The Jews answered and said to him, do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Samaritan. Samaritans, Jews hated Samaritans. Jews and Samaritans did not get along. They bypassed the land of Samaria. You've heard me say this to you before. Samaritans were half-breeds. Samaritans were those people who were taken by the Assyrians in the captivity of the Assyrians, and they remained in the north, and they intermarried, and they were just half-breeds, according to the Jews. They had their own set of laws. They only, they only looked at the first five books of the Bible, the Old Testament. So basically what he's saying is, you're a false teacher, by calling him a Samaritan. You're a false teacher, and on top of that, you have a demon. Well, Jesus does not respond to the false teacher aspect, Samaritan aspect, but he does respond to the demon part. Verse 49, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. And to dishonor me is to dishonor my Father, and my Father is God. Verse 50, but I do not seek my glory there's one who seeks my glory. Just insert that. There's one who seeks my glory. The one who says, I will share my glory with no one, shares his glory with me because I am the Father, are one. And there's one who judges, verse 50 says. The Father's agenda is to exalt me and to judge. And I know he will one day judge those who slander him and whose spiritual father is the devil. That ends the debate right there. Debate's over. And now Jesus makes some claims. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, 
He will never see death. Well, that's another wild claim of Jesus. That's an incredible claim of Jesus. I'm the giver of eternal life. If you believe in me, you will find eternal life. Verse 52, the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died and the prophets also. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. They just start snapping at him. Have you lost your mind? Have you lost your mind? We know now you've got a demon. Abraham died. Everybody dies. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. What are you talking about? Verse 53, surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. Well, as a matter of fact, I am, but he doesn't say that, but he could have. They're getting exasperated by Jesus at this point. They say the prophets died. Whom do you make yourself out to be? I will tell you. He's fixing to tell them in a big way. Verse 54, I glorify, if I glorify my... Now he starts telling them some things. Two verses here where he just tells them some things he's already told them in the past before he gets to the point where he tells them who he is. Jesus said, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. He said that for several chapters now, those very same words. Father glorifies me. I know him. He knows me. Um, I would be lying to you if I told you I did not know him. I'm of my father. I do not lie. In verse 56, folks, he begins to tell them the answer to their question, who are you? Who are you? Verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and, and saw it and was glad. You're not, but you're, just, you're not even 50 years old. How are you talking about this, the next verse says? Let's think about the scene in Genesis 18 again. In Genesis 18, I can't turn there with you this morning. I don't have time to take you into the passage this morning. In Genesis chapter 18, three visitors come to Abraham. Two of those visitors, we are told, are angels. Those two angels will eventually go to Sodom and Gomorrah and rain down judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. But those two angels come to Abraham along with one who is called the Lord. One who is called Yahweh. One who is called, theologians call, the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ in the Old Testament. In other words, it's two angels accompanying Yahweh. It's two angels accompanying an Old Testament manifestation of the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is how Jesus can say, Abraham saw my day. Genesis 18, he saw me. You know what he didn't do that day? He didn't try to kill me. He didn't try to discredit me. He did not try to do away with me. He saw my day and he rejoiced. I brought him a message with two other angels. All this is recorded in Genesis 18. I, the Lord, was there. I talked to Abraham. I saw Abraham. And he never rejected me. That was 2,000 years ago from the date that Jesus is talking in the temple that day. 2,000 years ago, I talked and saw Abraham. You're meeting with Yahweh right now. You religious leaders and antagonists, you're meeting with Yahweh right now and there is no gladness in your heart whatsoever. Now they know, may not be able to connect all the dots, but they know he is saying that he knows Abraham and Abraham rejoiced to see my day and I appeared to Abraham and he did not try to murder me. They know he is saying that. So it was not an incidental comparison to go back to Abraham. 
It was not an incidental comparison to, to, to talk about what Abraham did and what they're not doing. Because Abraham did not try to kill the messenger. You say you're of your father Abraham and you want to kill me? That is something Abraham would never do and did not do. And they said to him in verse 57, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Not totally getting what he is saying. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. He didn't say, before Abraham was born, I was born. He says, before Abraham was born, I am. I always eternally existed. That's what he's saying. He's saying that ego ami, it's the Greek translation in the Old Testament of Exodus 3.14. It's when Moses was told to go to Pharaoh and tell him to set your people free. And he said, who shall I say has sent me? And God says, tell him, I am has sent you. I am. I am name of God. I am has sent you. Before Abraham, I always and eternally existed. The eternal self-existent God. That's who Jesus is claiming to be right here at the end of this chapter. Um, and not only, not only is God my Father, this is interesting, not only is God my Father, but in the mystery of the Trinity, in the mystery of the Trinity, Jesus is the eternal God. That is what we're seeing here and learning here in these verses. I can't explain that, but that's in the mystery of the Trinity. God is my Father. We've just seen that all over the place. And now... And now Jesus says, I have always existed. A a divine attribute ascribed to Christ. A divine name ascribed to Christ. I am. Well, they know what he was saying. Look at verse 59. They picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. That's blasphemy, to make yourself out to be God. It's blasphemy. They want to kill him right now on the spot, but we're told that he slips away. It's not his time, folks. There's a divine timetable. Jesus is on that divine timetable. He's not going to die by a stoning. He's going to die on a cross. Somehow, in a divine manner, he slips away. Pretty incredible. Pretty incredible. They knew what he was saying. It's not his time to die, and he's not going to die yet. We'll be six months, and we will be on the cross, but that's not today. So, how does anybody get saved? How does anybody come to believe in Christ? If the problem in this passage is that you have the wrong father, then how in the world does anybody get saved? The devil is the spiritual father of all of us. That's the truth. All of us are born in sin into this world. Ephesians 2 tells us we are under the prince of the power of the air. We are all in Satan's realm. We're all born in his domain. We all are born into this world in darkness. That is the condition of all of us. We're all born as Satan being our spiritual father, whether we ever want to use those words or not. We are more influenced by him than we are God. We imitate him more than we imitate God. We lie, we have murderous thoughts, we, ha- we have lust, we have all of the sins, all of those things. We're more like the devil than we are like God. We imitate him. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. Our hearts are filled with rebellion, just like Satan. Pride, just like Satan. Hatred for God, just like Satan. Reject the truth, just like Satan. How can anybody who has the devil as their spiritual father ever come to believe in Jesus? How? Turn to John 6.44. Close with this this morning. John 6.44. You've already seen it in the book of John. Verse 44.
He says in verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. But he was saying this in the same kind of crowd, the same kind of groups of people who were antagonistic. He would say these very same words. He would call them and warn them with the terms of salvation. You could die in your sin, all of those kinds of terms. And yet he says to them, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 37, go back up. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Remember I told you when we're going through this passage, the church, all believers are a gift to the Son from the Father. We are the, we are the bride to the groom. We are a gift to the, to the Father. He draws us to give us to the Son. And anyone that's been given to the Son will come to me. I don't know who those people are. But if the Father has divinely cho- chosen, divinely elected before the foundation of the world, those who will be the bride to the Son, those will come to him. That's what he's saying. I don't know how this all works in the eternal mind of God and all of it, but this is what the scriptures teach. Notice in verse 39, this is the will of him who sent me that all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. Listen, as spiritual children of Satan, which we all are, we will never believe unless God shows his incredible grace in our lives and opens our eyes and rescues us from the devil. I can't rescue myself. I can't just make God my father myself. I need God to intervene in my darkness, in my rebellion, and in my sin and make Christ more attracted to me than the deeds of the devil. I'd much rather do the deeds of the devil in my flesh than the deeds of God. I need God to do that work that changes the inclinations of my heart and makes Christ more attracted to me than my sin. I need God to intervene or the words of this book fall on deaf ears. I can read it over and over again, and it has no part in me, just like the Pharisees and the religious leaders. These words do not intersect with my heart unless God does something to make them intersect with my heart. He has to do that work. I can't reason it out. I can't figure it out. I have a darkened understanding. I'm ignorant. I can't spiritually appraise anything. I'm blinded. Somebody needs to remove the blinders. I can't do that. A preacher can't do that for me. Only God can do that. Only God can rescue me. That's why we call it grace, because it's a work of God to an undeserving sinner like you and me. It's not me trying to clean up my act. It's not me trying to be a better person. It's not me getting baptized and going to church. It's God doing a work in me that opens my blind eyes. Who is your father? This morning I ask you that question. Who is your father? Who are you imitating? That'll give you the indication of who your father is. If you desire any desire whatsoever in your heart to have God as your father. God has put that desire there this morning and you need to cry out to him, God, rescue me from the domain of darkness. Open my eyes and bring me to Christ. Look at John 1. Turn to John 1. I told you that would be that, but let's go to John 1 just for a moment. John chapter 1. This is the prologue in the book of John. Things we've seen before. Notice in, um, you know, this just tells me right here, this tells me how God becomes a, 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 our new spiritual father through the work of Christ. Notice in verse 11, he came to his own. He came, he came to the Jews. He came to his own. And those who were his own did not receive him. Notice verse 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Do you see the change of fatherhood? You see the change of fatherhood? Become children of God. 
They became children of God. They came out of the domain of darkness and they became children of God. Now, is that a human source or a divine source? Did that all happen by human means or divine means? Notice verse 13. Who were born? Those who believed were those who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Do you see that? It is a work of God. It is divine intervention that breaks into the hard heart of the child of Satan, the child of the devil, the one who has the father. How how do I change? How do I change? Well, you don't. You cry out to God that he might change you. You cry out to God that he might give you the faith you need to trust and believe in him. You trust, you cry out to him that he will rescue you from yourself and from Satan and from the wrath to come. John 3, 3, you must be born again. Oh, can I just keep the law? Nicodemus wanted to say, can I just be a good Jew? Can I got Abraham as my father? None of that's any good. You must be born again. God must do something, a regenerating work in your heart. I want to be in the family of God. God has to put me there. I can't put myself there. Coming to church will not put you in the family of God. It will put you in the building, but it will not put you in the family of God. Who is your spiritual father? You are still in the paternity of Satan if you have not put your trust and faith in Christ. And to cry out to God to save you. Father, thank you for our time this morning. Thank you for this passage of Scripture. Thank you for these words that we have seen this morning. Thank you for the tremendous reminder of your sovereign hand and our salvation. Thank you, God, for the reminder that, Father, there are only two categories in the human race, those who imitate you and those who imitate Satan. Help us, God. Help us, God, to all be in the family of God. In this room this morning, I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.